Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 67 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson, here with Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Good evening. Hello Paul both. Anderson. Hello. How are you Paul Anderson? I'm very well. Uh, did you enjoy that little game earlier, Jack and Pete, where basically we were ready to start the podcast and then just as Jack played the intro music I said I'm not ready, I need to stop and do something else. Yeah, very Did funny. this twice, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not I sure enjoyed what it thought, at the but... time and I enjoyed it even more when you recounted these heady <laughs> moments just a few minutes later. Uh, we're back for another action-packed episode of this show with all the usual uh, bells and whistles. Starting off, as we tend to do around this time, either by having like a bit of awkward banter or by doing in the foyer. Which way do you want to go, Paul? Uh, let's go within the foyer because right. I think I've overstayed my welcome with uh, witty banter. With awkward <laughs> yes, banter. yes. All right. So, <laughs> so as we so talking of awkward, as yes. we sashay through those automatic doors into the foyer, there are topics in our minds, and we want to discuss them with our mouths. Um, one of those topics, perhaps the, the lead topic this week, is romance. Romance, romance. yes. Because... <laughs> Dance. <laughs> yes, uh, romantic films, Paul. Well, Why? yes, because well, because one of our feature reviews this week will be uh, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which has a heavy dose of romance in it at times, one might say. So we've come up with the idea of basically kind of like favourite romantic films, maybe, or favourite romantic yeah. moments in well, films. We went with that rather um, than favourite terminal illness films, yes. which was a close second place. Yes. Um, so, yeah... Get romantic with us, Paul. Get romantic, Jack, perhaps. Let's all get romantic. I mean, what, what shoots powerfully into your mind when you think about romantic movies? I'm going to go with a trilogy here. Okay. I'm thinking you're going to go with the Matrix trilogy. Uh, correct. That love scene in the second one, isn't that just one of the most sexual things it's you've ever seen? It's one of the worst things when, I've ever seen. When they touch people. each other's like nobles on their back. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Um, no. no, I don't think that's what you've gone for. What have you actually chosen? I'm going to go for Richard Linklater's The Before Trilogy because I just think it's a fantastic uh, trilogy of films with some excellent, excellent characters. Um, and yes, it's a, I think it's, it's a very touching film and actually a very realistic portrayal of romance um, in terms of how the characters interact and uh, and their relationships. It's Julie Delpy, is it not? And Julie Delpy. Ethan Hawke. And Ethan Hawke, yeah. I mean... I think early in the trilogy, and I admitted to you off mic before we started, that um, to my great discredit, I still haven't seen the third instalment in that you trilogy, should, should. which is before midnight, you reminded me, right? Before midnight. Uh, yes. Um, but the first two I like very much. I think maybe there are, are times where I find um, Ethan Hawke's character to be a, a little bit grating. But um, yeah, you, I mean, you're overcome by the sort of romance of the whole situation because it is basically at least the first two films and you can film me in on the third one. But they're, they're essentially films about people having conversations whilst in motion, yes. right? Yeah. Pretty much. But conversations that to some lesser or greater degree we've all had with the sort of loved one in our life or a significant other or whatever at some time, you, you know, you... you you get that feeling that you can. Do you know, and also, I think because because of uh, kind of Linklater's writing, I just think they're they're all the more convincing than other sort of more maybe obvious sort of romantic films. Like you know, I mean, there's there's don't get me wrong, there's a place in my heart for your brief encounters and that those those kind of sort of old school old school romantic sort of classic Hollywood romance films, and they're great. But there's just something about the writing of um, the Before trilogy that that makes it resonate for me a bit more, Jack. What about you? Are you you romantic at heart? I've never asked you this question before. I think I am, yeah, in some ways. You know, I'll buy flowers and chocolate if I... um, Well, well, if you're hungry. If I'm hungry, (laughs) I'll eat the flowers first. Uh, So, um, 
I think for me it would have to be uh, 2010's uh, Blue Valentine. Oh, um, it's a savage film. Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams in just because uh, the film spans over their relationship at different time periods over over their life basically, and it just goes to show how. It's not, an, it's not an uplifting be. romantic it's film. Not, it? It's not. I wouldn't um, say it is, actually, but that, that's why I chose it. Okay. Again, yeah. re- quite realistic. Yeah, <laughs> some, a realistic version. Because yeah. the bit that always sticks in my head from that movie is the part where Michelle Williams is like chastising Ryan Gosling about his lack of ambition. Oh, yes. Yeah, and then true. he says, ambition to do what? To be what? Because he's just moving furniture at the time, yeah. right? And that's making a just about scraping a living. But obviously, there's that expectation that as a couple and as individuals, they're going to go to the next level and maybe that's not happening. Which, as you say, albeit maybe not the actually most romantic thing in the world, is quite a realistic very, reflection yes. of the kind of hurdles that people have to overcome yes. in, in relationships, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Pete, what about you? Talking about hurdles to overcome, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't choose what, what first came to mind. So I'm going to go for a film I've talked about on this show before, I think. That's Sarah Polly's 2006 film, Away From Her. Okay. The reason that I picked this, and I could have picked other things, I could have picked Iris as well, I suppose, but... Um, films, well, linking to our feature today, um, Paul, films that are about love, but are about love in people of advancing years, mm. I think sort of just okay. hit me with even more force. Away From Her is a film that's about a couple who've been together, I think, for around 60 years, 50 or 60 years, and they're going to spend their first night apart, or the, at least the longest period of consecutive days apart. Maybe it's two or three, because the... Um, woman in the couple I believe it is has to go to be cared for in a sort of care home facility because she's starting to develop the the early signs of dementia Um, and so they're wrenched apart against their will and it's I mean for a filmmaker Sarah Polly was in her 20s I believe when she made this to make a film of such sort of grace and um, profundity I think is an astonishing thing Um, so yeah I I think I'd go for um, away from her although it could be lots and lots of other things and you know I'd want to give a shout out also to Nebraska because that's probably the film that got me and my uh, current partner back together and uh, so I I have that film to thank for that Um, but yeah maybe it's not not, not romantic as such very good film Right, well, is that it for in the foyer? Have we done it that briefly? Is it, does it, Jack? Got, do you want to, do you want to talk about anything, anything else? Do you anything, anything you want to talk about this week, Jack? Anything when you get off your chest? Film related, generally. Um, film related. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. No. Okay. That that film uh, that Michael Haneke uh, was going to release is now officially dead in the water. Right? Not the the new one, Happy Happy Ends. Happy End, which is which is coming out happy this end. week, isn't it? I think. Yes, but the, the the film Flash Mob, which we had in a preview of most anticipated films of the year about two years ago, we did, didn't we? Yeah, is now yeah. is now done. So um, yeah, you've got new Hanukkah, just not the new Hanukkah that we thought we yes, were going to and get. That is out on the first of December on Curzon in certain cinemas and on demand. So probably expect a review. I'm sure that we get we'll get loads of listens for reviewing the new Michael Hanukkah film. I, but we're sure going to do it anyway. That, that film, <laughs> in, in keeping with our first section, will be both hilarious and really romantic. Yeah, it's Michael much Hanukkah. like a more was, you know. <laughs> A more the ultimate romantic comedy. oh so much banter so, in that film so yes brilliant. right anyway we digress right that's pretty much it for in the foyer we'll be back after this little break with our popcorn movies of the week so 
So, uh, first one for me this week on Popcorn Movies is going to be uh, Leslie Headland's film Sleeping With Other People from 2015. I don't really know why I watched this, but um, <laughs> I, I, th- I suppose that the fairly starry cast were... Didn't you try and... Didn't you say to me you tried to watch something else but were very tired, so this went on instead? Yeah, I tried to watch that new series <laughs> Godless and it just seemed so sort of depressing that I couldn't do it. So I, I ended up having to pay 99 pence to rent this in HD, okay. but I think it's just about worth it. Uh it stars Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie front and centre as a couple who meet originally at college. Um, they have a sort of rooftop uh, meet cutie type situation. Both of them are quite jaded. Alison Brie is interested in another much more sort of seemingly, um, I don't know, desirable. I think he's supposed to be quite a nerd, but like she has her mindset on sleeping with someone else. Jason Sudeikis is supposed to be the kind of stoner, schlubby guy who connects with her on a level that they weren't expecting. Jump forward, I think, about 15 years. They're now uh, in their 30s, later 30s, I suppose, in in Sudeikis' case. And they happen to bump into each other again and realise that both of them are having ish similar troubles with commitment because they fall from sort of one relationship or tryst or hookup or whatever to the next one. They actually bump into each other again at a, like... um, Romantics Anonymous or whatever you know like a love addiction yeah. uh, group um, it's similar to like a sex addicts group I, I suppose yeah th- to get to the point I I mentioned when we reviewed Colossal that I think I have some issues with Jason, uh, Jason Sudeikis as an actor and it's not all jealousy because he's married to Olivia Wilde um, <laughs> it, it's also rooted in the fact that I think that he's good at certain things but when it gets to trying to portray these sort of feelings of, of what should be genuine romance both in Colossal and here I just don't buy him at all Mm. I actually don't find him to be a particularly likeable screen presence and unfortunately in this film I ended up feeling the same way about Alison Brie which I know is sort of sacrilege to some people because everybody knows her as Annie Annie from (laughs) Community but yeah I mean yeah she's she's cute but uh, I just, I didn't like these people. And I think that's so important. I mean, talking about um, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, whatever I might have in terms of reservations earlier on in the trilogy with Ethan Hawke, they're likeable people. You want to spend time in their company. This couple, when it's pulling towards the end of the film and you think, will they get together in the end? I kind of checked out and I didn't really care. I think that's a big problem when it comes to any kind of romantic comedy there are there are sort of side performances to, to keep you around Jason Manzukis, who's in every vaguely comedic film it seems like yes they uh, seem to be overusing him at the moment Adam, Adam Scott and his tiny mouth he's in this as a very very unlikable <laughs> man with a moustache um, yeah Adam Brody pops up Amanda Peet's in it so uh, Catherine Waterston who I really like but it just added up to less than the sum of its parts. So, um, unfortunately, yeah, it's not a hookup that I um, would have made if I'd have known the no, consequences. I'll give that a wide berth. And, and not that I would have rushed to see it, I don't think, anyway. But uh, Well, will... Annie dances around in her underwear a bit, so that'll get some people through the gate, I suppose. Okay, but well, yeah, that, yeah that, okay, that seems fair, yeah. Well, and Sudeikis as well, Paul. I mean, let's be uh, inclusive. Yes, my favourite. Ta- take favorite. me out of this uncomfortable zone. What did you watch? I'm going to take you out of this uncomfortable zone and into, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that segue, so I'm not going to bother with it. Uh, the Incredible Shrinking Man uh, from 1957, um, which, I, if I remember rightly, I'm sure was one of my dad's favourite f- sort of favourite 50s B-movies. Um, and actually, for, uh, Arrow have just um, re-released this, well, released this on Blu-ray, I think, for the first time, finally. I do have this uh, image, Paul, a rather lovely image of, of you and your dad sat around uh, sometime in the past talking about, so, Dad, go, 
favourite 50s B-movies. Yeah. Like, it makes you sound so film literate. Just like, leave that there, I think. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, yeah, this is The Incredible Shrinking Man from 1957, uh, directed by Jack Arnold. Um, if anyone hasn't seen this, then I, I strongly suggest that you seek it out because it's... Um, Haven't seen it, Paul. Why is it good? You should seek it out. It's just, it's just great. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, the, the, the premise is a man is, um, a man, he's out on a boat with his, uh, with his lovely lady. Um, and the, uh, basically, a, like a weird cloud passes over the boat. Um, and reacts with some insecticide, insecticide that's in his system from from when he was walking around the town. Is it the prequel that's happening? No, <laughs> kind of. And then he just starts shrinking uh, and keeps shrinking. Unfortunately for uh, unfortunately for him, um, it's just it's just a lot of fun. The, the visual effects are very very creative um, for a film from 1957. It looks fun. It looks great. It really really does. I mean, it's 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 black and white. Um, but it, it looks fantastic, basically because they've just built giant versions of absolutely everything. Um, and there's some really, really inventive set pieces in this. Um, like, for example, where as, as he keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, he ends up living in a doll's house in another house, which is pretty cool. And there's a there's a set piece with a giant, with not, well, not with a giant cat, with like a household cat. Um, some fantastic stuff with a tarantula running around as he's trying, he's trying to escape and try and survive. Um, and it's just a whole lot of fun, really. Um, it's, it's, it's camped up. It's camped up quite a lot. There's some amazing boom movie dialogue, which which I won't spoil. Some of the lines that he comes up with are are incredible, and it's just a whole heap of fun, to be honest. And I think it's um, I think it's it's one of those films that I think is is doesn't get enough credit. It's actually a lot better than it's. B movie. I'm saying this in with bunny ears. In, in then it's B movie status. I think it's a is lot it, better. Film is it living in the shadow of Honey I Shrunk the Kids? Uh, possibly, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's certainly it's an inspiration of that. And it's um, Paul. What's the film that's coming out shortly? Downsizing. Is downsizing. Yeah, yeah I, I would say mentioning that. I would say that was Matt Damon. Yes, I would say downsizing has got some pretty big shoes to fill after uh, the oh, Incredible Shrinking Man. Yeah, no, it's 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 genuinely really really good. And if you haven't seen it and you're fans of sort of sci-fi and little people movies, of which there aren't a, a, a great heap. Uh, I would definitely check out The Incredible Shrinking Man. It's very, very good. We're talking of definitely check stuff out films. Um, Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot is my second film for this week, which I think I've seen bits of before, but have never watched all the way through. Um, it's really, really good. You've seen this, Paul, I would imagine. Uh, yes, I have, yeah. Jack, have you seen Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe? I haven't, actually. It, it, it's it's a hoot. It's a hoot, you guys. Um, yeah, I think many, many people will be aware of the fact... Um, There's no tea in there, sorry. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> many people will be aware of the fact that this is... Um, the film really rests on the power of the performances of Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon, who play these two uh, musicians who, early in the film, sign themselves up to be, um, like, sort of travelling session musicians with an all-female band because it's the only work that they can get and that entails having to dress up like and act like females for most of the rest of the film. Within that troupe, they bump into the absurdly gorgeous character played by Marilyn Monroe and a whole train load or train cars load of the other members of this all-female a band who were various degrees of very very attractive um what what to say about this that hasn't already been said i mean i think tony curtis in particular is wonderful because later in the film he has to play this other role as a um 
that the owner, in his own words, of the Shell Oil Company, when he's trying to seduce Marilyn Monroe's character by taking on a second alter ego, <laughs> and he does this like really weird put-on English sort yes. of um, dignitary accent. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great amount of fun. Um, I, I want to avoid saying this, but also I don't because it's on my mind. It's like Marilyn Monroe. Let's talk about Marilyn Monroe for a second because everybody, you know, all you hear is sex symbol this and sex symbol that. Okay, first of all, Marilyn Monroe, I think, is a pretty um, workably strong actress in her own right. But also, and this is going to undercut my previous point, there's something to be said for the way that the breasts are presented in the late 1950s, I think. <laughs> it's like Marilyn Monroe's breasts in this film are just like very there but like very naturally there they're not sort of like pushed into some particular shape she's all woman and I appreciate that and I think what we get on screen a lot these days are trimmed down um, you know restricted to a certain size whether in the states it's size zero or over here size four or six or whatever and there's been a lot of talk of this I guess recently it's just great to go back to Marilyn Monroe and, and actresses some actresses of that era and see you know female leading ladies who maybe don't have to be super skinny to yeah. be seen as really attractive so um i wasn't alone in this my girlfriend and i were both like all, all over this uh, conversation <laughs> when we were watching it but um yeah really really good some like it hot a lot of fun a uh, lot of funny one-liners and stuff in there and um yeah it, it instantly sort of rewatchable as well i think so if you've already seen it go back paul what's film two of you uh you're gonna like this one pete i think you're gonna like it I a lot it. Uh, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood from 1973. Right. Uh, directed by Christopher Spieth, who before this was uh, apparently an experimental art filmmaker, and after this ended up making documentaries. Okay. So I know you like documentaries. About other real life blood carnivals? Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, so this is, yeah, this is a, I think, fairly little known um, American horror film from, as I said, 1973. Uh, released uh, in this country as, there's an Arrow video theme to this, as there normally is to quite a lot of the stuff I watch at home. Uh, released in this country under the title of the American Horror Project with another couple of, um, another couple of US, uh, sort of obscure US horror films. And I've been waiting to watch this for a while. Um, it was it was very in, I'd say it's probably more interesting than it is good for horror fans. Um, it's very very light on narrative, so it's one of those kind of woozy kind of horror films. I think the the best way to describe it for me would be like an American take on a more traditional sort of um, Argento kind of giallo film. There's there is there is at one point like a a killer with a with a black glove with like a black leather glove in this. So it's definitely it's definitely heavily inspired by. By those kind of films, so if if you're into your giallo stuff and you kind of Argento that that kind of those kind of films, you'll you'll be kind of know what to expect here. Um, but it's just it's very very weird. There's some some very very creepy visuals. It's all it's all very very low budget. I hasten to add, but it just it's got a very woozy atmosphere about it. And actually, there's there's something to be said for films that that can build and hold your interest on, on kind of visuals and atmosphere alone. Um, and this is certainly, certainly one of those horror films. Again, if you're not into horror, I'd say there's, there's probably not much here for you, but if you are and you want to try something a little bit different, then I would say, yeah, Malatesta's um, Carnival of Blood um, is worth a watch. Great, great double bill with some like it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so that's, that's pretty much popcorn movies. Um, what I will hasten to add that I don't think any of us have done the, 
the have you seen homework yet have we oh, I was going to lie because and say we were, done it. we were, were quite late that no I was going to say I, I mean seen I've it. seen it before so I was yeah. going to be able to play it off no, quite well I, no, can I, I not do that no I think, oh. well no you've, you've been rumbled now um, <laughs> so what we'll do we'll hold that for next week Jack is there anything you've seen this week that you want to want to talk about uh, yeah there's uh, one film that I've, I watched quite recently uh, with Bradley Cooper in it it's called uh, Burnt um, which is um, he's a chef that's was very high up in regard for his work and then just took a lot of drugs and sort of got destroyed, burnt, got burnt destroyed ah, his career. A clever title. Yes. Um, and he comes back, he comes back to London and he wants to basically set up this three Michelin star restaurant. Is he, when he goes to do that, limitless? No, he's That's going to hold him yeah, back. Does he have is. a hangover? Uh, no, he's been okay. sober for two, <laughs> two and a half years, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, but this film for me, Bradley Cooper's character was pretty straight. Does he need he to call in very, the A team at any point? Yeah, I think so. He yeah. wasn't very exciting. Does he do um, a dance routine with Jennifer Lawrence? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. No, I I, I love these uh, Bradley yeah, Cooper jokes. Good. Because yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> his I I really didn't get on with his character. I just didn't think it worked for the scenario. Are there any, ra- are there any raccoons in it? Are there any raccoons yeah, in it? With oh, yeah, rockets on. Because he is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. No, carry on. Carry <laughs> on with sorry. Well, I just felt he was he was just really arrogant, um, which obviously a lot of chefs can be. Um, but he just didn't play it very well. Um, he was just this unlikable character. Um, and all it really had him was this amazing food. And that was probably the best bit about it. This, just, is, this is one of the most damning verdicts I've ever heard from you, Jack, on a film. So would you say that this is actually quite shit? burnt would you, would. would you recommend it to your worst enemy I probably would yeah, yeah. I'd put it on them I think yeah and fuck that guy anyway he can watch any old yeah. Bradley <laughs> yeah, Cooper can, stuff, yeah, can yeah. but for other Bradley Cooper stuff I think this is probably not his greatest film does he take his shirt off yes he does oh right. I'm back in yeah he does cool Good. I felt when someone might have ruined that review for Jack there, to be honest. No. I'm, not, I'm not sure. No, that's right. Bradley I, Cooper I ruined that. it for himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true, yeah. yeah. That was my opinion on Burns. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Uh, right, after that, that great <laughs> segment that we've just ruined for Jack, so I'm sorry, I feel a bit bad now, uh, we'll be uh, back after some penance uh, with coming attractions. So um, films are coming out. We're really excited about them, aren't we? Let's get let's get amped. Yes. Bradley Cooper's got a new one. We've got, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly about one of these upcoming films, and that is a film that actually now I'm looking into the details. I might not be that excited about. So perfect for this section. Um, it's the film Stronger, and the main attraction here is Jake Gyllenhaal's face, but it's also directed by David Gordon Green, who directed Joe, which I still haven't seen. He also directed uh, Pineapple Express and some of that, like, um, those things. Has Joe got Nicolas Cage in it? Yes, it has. Okay. Uh, Ty Sheridan, perhaps, or that okay. one who looks yeah. like Ty Sheridan. I get them confused. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I credited uh, um, Dunkirk as having Ty Sheridan, and he's not in it. Not in it. Is it not Ty Sheridan? Yeah, a totally different actor. Okay, right. They still have a similar face. Is this the they do have a very similar face? Yeah. Boston Marathon. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, Stronger is about a survivor, an inspiring uh, survivor of the Boston bombings, uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Also in this, we have Tatiana Maslany, who people will know from the TV show Orphan Black. I'm um, glad to see she's getting a bit of a break. I suppose she's then, rather good, yes, isn't she? Yes, she is rather good. Yes. Um, and um, yeah. 
Aside from that, the early buzz is, is relatively positive. This one comes out on December the 8th on wide release. Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, doesn't always do me right. I had to sit through, uh, what was the one about the breakdown of the relationship that was shown sort of also metaphorically because he smashed up a house? Demolition. Demolition. I'm not going nowhere near that. It's directed not, by that man that hates. Not great. Is it Jean, Jean-Marc Vallée? Jean-Marc Vallée. Yes. Yeah, Jean- yeah, it, yeah, yeah, maybe his, that, his no. weakest effort. And not, not like the terrific wild, which we both love. Shut up. <laughs> and sit down. Paul, what have you got this week <laughs> for uh, a coming attraction? I've got the, the one of the most bizarre trailers I think I've ever seen uh, in the form of the teaser trailer for Deadpool 2. Is there, has anyone else seen this teaser trailer yet? No, where he's, uh, he's giving some kind of painting lessons um, and talking oh, about right, and yeah. talking and okay, like yeah. offering up to beat what well, he's beating off a paintbrush, um, which is quite amusing. Um, being that it Roman Reigns is in the Deadpool character, uh, I'm pretty excited for Deadpool too. To be honest, um, it's got the director from John Wick, I believe, at the helm this time round. Um, he's got one of my favourite Marvel comics characters from ages ago from the X Men comics, Cables in it played by Josh Brolin. Um, I hope the villain's better this time round because I thought the villain was crap in Deadpool. Yeah, um, So I hope the villain's this time round better this time round and I'm very excited for Deadpool. Moreno Baccarin is back, Paul. Yes, Moreno yeah, Baccarin is back. I, I, no one asked my opinion so I'm going to give it. I think that <laughs> she was, for me, like one redeeming feature of the first film that I just didn't like very much. No. I don't think I like Deadpool. Um, I like Ryan Reynolds. I just don't... I just... Ugh. There's something about the sort of like irony and the like, the like uh, patting themselves on the back because we made a superhero film that's anti-superhero films, even though it's cashing in on totally the same audience. Yeah, but- I think. Yeah, I think the, the criticisms of Deadpool affair, to be honest, he was he was one of my favourite. Well, because the, the only real Marvel comic I read in any depth was the Wolverine comics, mm. and Deadpool was always probably my favourite villain. Well, right. Basically, he's a villain. See, I didn't know um, anything about Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. Deadpool, so, really. um, so maybe we'll see Hugh Jackman cameo in this. But yeah, I just I think it'll be a lot of fun. I enjoyed the first one. In- <laughs> TJ Miller's back as well, and he was yes. he was good fun. Yes, TJ Miller makes me roar up in Silicon Valley. So yes, TJ Miller is uh, value for money normally. So yeah, Deadpool two, uh, pretty excited for that. I think it's March time next year, so I've probably yeah, jumped the gun on. Uh, maybe you can explain this, but Paul is currently listed on the IMDb as untitled Deadpool sequel. I'm presuming that's not the real title, but that's still what it's going with on the the IMDb, which is usually pretty no, I, I don't think it has a title. In fairness, I don't think it has a title. I or think is that been... is that like the next stage of irony yeah, yes. that is going to probably. Yeah. Yeah, get yeah. me super yeah. amped yes. um, cool so you think oh it says here 1st of June 2018 1st of June ok it's further off than I thought then I thought, it was, I thought it was earlier than that it so. might be slightly earlier in the US I'll probably maybe. forget we've talked about it and talk about the trailer another nine times before then so yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's it for coming attractions we'll be back after this with feature reviews of Mudbound and film stars don't die in Liverpool So first up, Paul, I think we're going to go with Mudbound, yep. which is the latest in an in a increasingly long list of Netflix original productions, um, if I'm not mistaken. This one deals with both sides of World War II um, in so much as there is the first half of the film, nearly half of the film, um, which is all, all kind of setting up the departure of a couple of key characters to fight in the Second World War. And then there's the second part of the film, which is sort of their return 
and um, well, kind of, yeah, because one of them departs quite early, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, the film director here is Dee Reese, not a director, female director. I don't know a great deal about. Um, I think there's a, a few credits, but I've she's, a, she's a new name, new name to me as well. To be fair, so um, and this one stars, amongst others, Garrett Headland, Carrie Mulligan, Jason Clark, who plays the husband of Carrie Mulligan, who essentially towards the beginning of the film promises quite a lot to the Carrie Mulligan character who is sort of a self-proclaimed I think in a in a um, voiceover at one point she says that I'm a, an old maid or I was an old maid yeah. so I was 31 and unmarried and still living with my family yeah. Jason Clark comes on the scene promises her a sort of life and a family and, and, and security uh, and then that doesn't quite work out the way that he hoped when he discovers that the house he thinks he's rented for them has in fact been sold to someone else and he's been duped they end up living in a sort of shack like uh, fairly uh, low quality of of life uh, sort of existence yeah. on the land on which they're going to work even though Jason Clark doesn't really know what he's doing I think I've well, said he it runs up. the farm doesn't he basically? he runs the farm but he runs the farm maybe without the kind of knowledge that a lot of the other people who are yeah. working on the farm already have yeah. and then you've got the other side the other family the other side of the the equation is an African-American family living on the land who at various stages help aid Carrie Mulligan and Jason Clark's family um, and also and also work for them don't they that's what I mean by aid yeah aid them and and sort of live alongside them and share the experiences and fallouts of both the war and life on the land uh, I think I've set it up for quite long enough here's a clip Ronzel Hepson Jim McKellen Henry's brother pleasure to meet you You walk here? Yes. Let me give you a lift. Come on. So, yeah, it gives you uh, a, a, a taste, I think, of... It doesn't... Yeah, we, we struggled to find clips on this one, didn't we? But yeah, it gives it you... Yeah, gives you a bit of a, of a taste of kind of some of the performances really there. Um... I, I really really like this. I'm going to come out of the gate quite strongly there. It's a, it's a Netflix uh, it's a Netflix film again, which I'm not sure we mentioned. And it's just the first thing I say that, that jumps at me about this film is I think every perform every actor here was fantastic. I don't think there was a bad performance in the bunch personally. I think even so, you've got um, who's the guy from? There was a guy that was in it from. Straight out of Compton, you've got the laptop in front of you, Pete. Who plays the um, who plays the African American returnee from World War Two? Yeah, he I thought was incredible. I've completely forgotten his name because I haven't got the laptop in front of me. We do have more than one laptop between us, listeners, just to, to fill you yeah, in on our I haven't got it on me state of affairs. Um, if you can look that guy's name up, that would it be great. It might be, I think it's Jason Mitchell who played Easy e in Straight Yeah, Compton, it's Jason yeah. Mitchell, yeah. So Jason Mitchell is, is absolutely fantastic. The, for me, this, the standout performance here was is Garrett Hedlund from Tron Legacy. Who I just thought just blew me away as the kind of as as the young as the younger brother of Jason Clark, um, yeah, and I just thought that the performances were absolutely fantastic, which is the first thing that jumped out at me about the film. Um, yeah, was, of course, Garrett Hedlund comes onto the scene and creates this sort of friction in the relationship between Jason Clark and his wife, um, yeah. Carrie Mulligan's character, because it's very apparent that he is the sort of more graceful, dashing, better looking um, of the two brothers. And, and you can tell that this is not necessarily going to 
be smooth sailing for the pair. Also, the guy um, I wanted to mention is uh, your, your man Jonathan Banks, who was uh, the fixer in Breaking Bad. Yes. And is a very, very sinister here oh, as a yeah. sort of yeah, Papa, yeah. tobacco chewing grandfather yeah. racist character. Yeah, so I mean the the film the film as you And Mary J. Blige, by the way, we yes. should mention. So the, the film does the film is it's not an easy watch, I would I would no, hasten to no. add. Gritty, gritty stuff. Yes, very gritty stuff. Um it deals it looks firmly in the face of um racism in the in the deep south of America. Um, especially obviously it's a, with the period setting um, and the kind of the treatment of African American veterans when they got back is oh, more, which is incre- horrible. Incredible yeah. sequence, yeah. particularly you know referencing that Paul where uh, the character that we just mentioned played by the guy who was who was in Straight Outta Compton. He returns home. Jason Mitchell, we said, yeah, yeah. He returns home and he is told by a group of uh, white men that he's not allowed to leave through the front door of the local store where he's yeah. gone to buy candy for his sisters on returning from war and serving his country. I mean, it's it's almost unfathomable that this is real history from so close to the present day, right? Yeah. Like you, you need reminding of these facts. I think on a regular regular basis for because without that maybe those things slip our, our minds I think with, with too much readiness so yeah I would I would say so and I think that the, you know one of the other reasons the film really works for me was just the, the quality of the script as well it just it just felt very it felt very very believable all the characters felt like felt like they you know they they could actually exist and with this with this kind of material Pete I think it, it's quite easy to make this kind of a, it would have been quite easy to make this overblown it's, it's very easy to kind of to I mean it, it, there's a fine line between making a character such as Pappy in this, which is the Jonathan Banks character, making him creepy and nasty and evil, which he, you know, he needs to be for the script, and then making it more pantomime, like a caricature. Yeah, yeah and I think a number of uh, uh, the, the, when films of this nature, and I, I, one doesn't spring immediately to mind. Sometimes when you make films of this nature, or maybe um, Jason Isaacs in The Patriot is probably an example of. Of like a of a pantomime villainous kind of awful white character, like it's very easy to slip over into melodrama in these kind of films. And I think um, what Mudbound does very well is is it doesn't do this despite having some characters that you know could could suffer from that. Do you know Jason Clark's character, for example, is kind of he's is kind of the way he's coded. He's he's not a, he's not a nice man necessarily, but you know I don't think he means to be. I don't think and, he, yeah. I don't think he means to be the controlling husband of Carrie Mulligan's character, and you can. I, I'm with you. I mean, I yeah. Think if you, you see s- where I'm coming yeah, from, you, you yeah, you see through the strength of the performances that you've mentioned, Paul, that like the characters' motivations are apparent. It's not simply, yeah, this is a racist character or this is a one-dimensionally bad character. I would claim maybe that um, this, a similar line was skirted in Detroit that we saw earlier this year in terms of giving those characters enough humanity and nuance to. Not not seem like a like a kind of cardboard cutout yeah. as you're saying um yeah I, no i absolutely agree i think this is really strong i mean you were saying before we we went to record today that maybe this is going to come in right near the head of your list of best netflix original films do you think first second third i mean what where's it gonna hang oh probably second i think second i think what you know uh, i think seconds. i know what you're gonna say is first right yeah okja okja yeah. at number one yeah i mean I was slightly less hot on Okja than you were, but this is right up there. I mean, right up there in the, in that conversation with with Okja. And what else? I mean, what's what's sort of? Uh, I don't want to be alone, home alone. I can never remember the title. Oh, of this I thing. don't feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jack, you, you watched my band, didn't you, this week? I did. Yeah. What did you think? Oh wow, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. 
Um, and at one point, I did cry. I think. Oh, Jack! I know, Jack. I know. Hold, hold me. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's probably one of the first films I've cried to in a in a very long time, and it was a very sort of deep cutting scene, which I won't go into because I think you need to watch it. Yeah, you know, to I mean, understand. Yeah, yeah, brace yourself. But yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But it just goes to show what life was like then, and how sort of compared to how it was in Europe at the time a lot of differences and I think as you said earlier about how close it was to now right it's quite scary and, and on that point Jack I mean that thing about the, all the stuff it struck me watching this like all the stuff you take for granted in terms of so take aside the, the racial tensions for a second like we take for granted the the creature comforts of home you know being able to go into a warm insulated home and then you see like life on the land is just so tough mm. even without this ingrained prejudice beating you down at every turn yeah. you've got issues just like you there are scenes where uh, Carrie Mulligan in her home is having a re- regular conversation and there's just water dripping through from the yeah. from the sort of shack that they're living in and you think like Matt, like how fortunate we are to live in in relative, you know, comfort for for the, those of us who are lucky enough, I suppose, to to have homes and apartments and things to to stay in. So yeah, re- really powerful stuff. Dee Reese, by the way, I've been looking at since we mentioned her name. The film that I think popped up with a lot of praises, a 2011 film called Pariah, but right. I haven't seen it. I've just heard that um, I've not seen it either. So. Maybe worth going back to some of the stuff she's. I would and, say so. Yeah, definitely. And after, also what, after, out, the, after the strength of this, I think this is this is a really 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 strong effort. So and yeah. unlike uh, Catherine Bigelow, she is an African American filmmaker. Not that that precludes Catherine Bigelow's film that I mentioned Detroit. Yeah. But yeah, this is really strong stuff and hopefully a sign of where Netflix originals can go in the future, right? That we can see filmmaking at this level and maybe not at the level of some of the stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, if if they're in a position to kind of be promoting younger and new talent as well, that's always, you know, that's always a good thing rather than just... Rather than just going, oh, here we've got a script. Give it to give an established director a load of yeah. money and bang it on Netflix. If they can go, okay, we found this fantastic. Someone's bought us a fantastic script. It's this, and then Netflix can put the money up to maybe promote yeah, what was the, promote uh, new what was filmmakers. The that would be fantastic. Of this film. Oh, I talk amongst yourselves but I was going to, to heads up uh, for us and everybody else listening as well that, that that thing Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams which I believe is going out on uh, all four at the moment Yeah, um, one of the episodes of that is directed by D. Reese as well oh, okay um, I did wonder where you were going with that for a second but, so yeah and then yeah. the next project seems to be uh, that's a very strange program pre, pre-production an uncivil war is in okay. the pipeline um, is that a Marvel film or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it would be a bit of a tangent wouldn't it to, to go there next but but who knows? We've got any information? The life and career of the renowned journalist and feminist crusader Gloria Steinem is okay. the, the subject matter of that film. So one to cool. look out for. Dee Reese definitely yes. a, a new name to us, but like someone we're going to watch really closely. Yeah, absolutely. And this if was really good. If you've got Netflix, you literally have no excuse not to check out Mudbound. So find absolutely. it at once. Um, Jack, pay attention because we need to uh, segue into. Uh, yes, we need to segue into a break. So, that was Mudbound. This is our second feature review. And, Paul, we're going to talk about a film with the name of Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which is one of those titles that immediately conjures up 
sort of the central idea that must be at work here. And then we go on to find out why the film is named as such. I believe it's also based on a, 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 book, a book, which I is think, based yeah. on the real life of the character um, at the centre of this film. Like, that's correct, isn't it? Isn't yes, yeah. yeah. And as far as I'm aware, yeah, I don't know. I, it's not It's not a book I'm familiar with. It's not a story I'm, I'm familiar with. But yes, as far as I'm aware, it's certainly based on a... It's, based on a book, which is based on a true story. Yeah, and it's an actress from the same era as Marilyn Monroe, um, but one that I was not as familiar with. So this is, let's get some facts popping off here. Gloria Graham is the name of this actress, yeah. um, and she is depicted here by Annette Benning, that people know from American Beauty and, and elsewhere. I think American Beauty sticks out because the first time I saw that, uh, we paused it because my friend's mum was walking in in that scene where Annette Benning is is mid uh, sex and has her like legs akimbo and we paused it right on that moment so that's what I think of with Annette, Annette Benning totally different here we've also got Jamie Bell an actor who I like a great deal uh, playing Peter Turner who is the much younger later life love interest of Gloria Graham um, the actress they meet when they are sharing the same um, accommodation, they live in different rooms, the same accommodation, and um, some kind of frisson of attraction develops between the two of them during a, a kind of dance dance party in her apartment <laughs> whilst they're sipping whiskey. Uh, let's have a clip and we'll get into the review. No. All right, then what is it then? Oh, for God's sake, Peter. I've got four kids. I don't need five. I'm not a kid! Well, then Gloria. stop acting like one, okay? I was out. And now I'm back. Listen, I've been offered a job back in England. It's a theatre gig in Liverpool. Oh. Start Good rehearsals for you. in three weeks. Yeah? Well, have you taken it? Do you want me to take it? Do you want it? me to make up your mind for you? Fuck's sake! Things, they haven't been right for the past few days now. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it, that's all. So, yeah, that kind of sets the tone, really. That's a, that's a scene from a bit later on in the film and just gives you an indication of um, the kind of interplay between uh, Net Benny and Jamie Bell, who actually I would... Uh, I'm going to steal your term here. I would co-sign on the fact that I'm big fans of both of them, actually. Uh, I think Jamie... I personally think Jamie Bell's a very underrated actor and deserves a lot more credit than perhaps he gets... Um, and, and let's talk about the fact that, that <coughs> me. Jamie Bell is an actor who does not shy away from a provocative sexual relationship on screen. I mean, we've had him spanking Charlotte Gainsbourg uh, with complete em- emotionlessness uh, in uh, Nymph- Nymphomaniac Part 2, I, I think. Um, we've also had him... There's that one with Claire Forlani where he's sort of a, a voyeur with some binoculars. So Hallam Foe. Is it Hallam Foe? I think it might be Hallam Foe. Yeah. yeah, there's two... Morven Caller, I always mix it with Hallam Foe just because right. they're two words, I don't know. But yeah, no, you're right. It is Hallam Foe. And, and quite... Um, yeah, I found that quite... Uh, I was going to say quite arousing and that's just like I've gone too far. But yeah, uh, help me out. Jamie Bell... It takes risks, let's say, uh, yeah, say with, so. with his with his work. And here, the risk he's taking, I suppose, is that he's also got to carry off a fairly passable Scouse accent throughout the uh, running time of this thing. Yeah, I like this film a lot, and it's funny because Jack mentioned um, during discussing Mudbound that this got you know made the room a bit dusty and maybe uh, stirred some pretty strong emotions. I've got to admit, I I cracked a number of times towards the end of this film. Um, did it hit you as hard as me, Paul? I think, don't think it hit me. I don't think it hit me quite as hard as it hit you. I think I still think I would still maintain that it was very good. 
Um, I thought that the performances were great between the two leads. I found, I did, however, find it a little bit uh, directionless. Probably the first half or so, I didn't really know where it was going. Like I said, I, I very much liked the uh, liked the, the, the chemistry between them. Um, and is it Paul McGuigan? Did he direct against? Is it the guy that directed yes, against it, number it one? Is the, yeah, I, that's right. Yeah. So Paul McGuigan's a director that that I'm a that I'm a fan of anyway. So I think the the kind of the quality on display here, I think, got me over some of my the, the acting quality on display, and certainly some of the writing got me over some of my um, some of my concerns about a slightly directionless first half. I just didn't really know where it was going and what it was doing, really. And I just it just thought, oh, they're they're kind of oh, they're in love, and then it kind of didn't didn't go places. But it it certainly for me tightens up tightens up towards the end, and I think the um, the end certainly certainly packed a punch. Um, not yeah, not quite as not quite as much as it got you. I don't think. I think uh, yeah, at one point yeah. I had to push you off my shoulder because you were crying into my my jumper. I think when you it didn't happen. The... Um, <laughs> yeah, it, before before we high five Paul McGuigan though, he is also responsible for the absolutely risable Victor Frankenstein with old uh, Harry Potter in it. And uh, I haven't got to that yet. I didn't realize he'd made that James okay. nine characters, Matt yeah. Boy. So uh, yeah, less good. But yeah, I mean, here uh, I've read quite a bit of of criticism of the film being um yeah as you were saying maybe lacking a bit of direction at certain points where i wouldn't necessarily disagree with but also maybe um being a little shallow and i and i really have to sort of kick back against that because i think that those performances um of annette benning and jamie bell that we've mentioned are so um powerful in the best moments of this film that Again, you understand the motivations of the characters to a decent degree in the amount of time that you're given with them. Um, you can see why this young man is longing to be with this increasingly decrepit, much older woman, even when the physical spark is dying in front of his eyes. And you can see where this woman, albeit looking as though she might be you know shallow and she has these sort of bursts of rage every now mm. and again you can see this like unlevel nature to her character which i appreciated because she's not in any way romanticized she gets angry she gets frustrated she's unreasonable and then what paul mcguigan and, and his editor i think do really effectively here is these intercuts between one part of time, one passage of time and another, using like quite seamless transitions between scenes, which to me reminded me a little bit of that film Sense of an Ending, but maybe okay. this worked for me a little more effectively. Not, you mean that non-sense of an ending. Where a sense of a someone did a hand gesture and I'm yeah. not quite sure what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I don't know, Paul. I don't know whether it's just one of those things where themes at work here about and touching on the the point I made about away from her like themes of um, aging and illness and suffering through that and to be honest anything that involves the anguished face of Julie Walters is is going to get me <laughs> right in the in the heart as well we also have Stephen Graham here who's, who's just sort of a, you know explosive at the best of times wearing a really weird wig I would yeah. throw that in, in <laughs> yeah. the face of this this movie I'm not sure about that choice uh, I guess he's got to be a scouser so he's got to have one of those sort of <laughs> from the far show one of those scouser wigs but yeah I mean I don't think it's anything like the best film I've seen this year at the same time I don't know that anything 
or many things have affected me affected me as emotionally as this did. Okay. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a weird mixed review from me on on this one, I suppose. Um, it's out wide at the moment, so people can see this film, right? Yes. I'm, I'm imagining. I mean, it seems like that kind of film that's going to get buried quite quickly. I think it's, it's it's run its course at Cineworld in Cheltenham, I think. Or, it's, or, or they've done that thing where they go, no, we actually showed it for two weeks, but on the second week it was on at 12.40 in the afternoon, so mm. everyone can get to that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why Cineworld, Cineworld don't actually speak like that. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> Ian Cineworld. Cineworld yeah. had a voice, that's what yes. it sounds like. Well, I think that, you know, linking Mudbound to this film, um, that quote comes to mind, Roger Ebert said about, like, cinema is an empathy machine, right? Mm. This week, our two feature films feature sort of no explosions and no superheroes and no sort of great big action, really. And therefore no listeners. <laughs> and therefore no listeners. So if you have stuck with this episode, thank you very much. You will benefit from it because you should go and check out both Mudbound and... You should. Don't I think it's been a good week, to be fair. I think it's been a good week. Right, so that's pretty much the end. Um, I just wanted to say that we are off tomorrow to see a secret unlimited screening uh, which is very exciting although I've got a feeling we'll probably be disappointed and it'll definitely be screened wrongly um, so a secret unlimited screen at Cineworld so we will certainly well, talk about what that was next week I'm putting all my money on the new Michael Hanukkah being the film yeah well, you've said this didn't you I'm, I'm not convinced to be honest I mean well, if, you, you were saying it's definitely going to be Star Wars I did just, not say just, it's definitely going to be Star Wars I said it's the, definitely uh, not going to be Star Wars just before the, the legions of Star Wars fans burn the cinema to the ground yes, because they've be already if it is the new Michael Haneke, I will forgive Cineworld for a year of sin. I, I genuinely will. So I'm, you won't be doing that then? No, I won't be doing that. Um, uh, we will be back next week with uh, our review of Doctor Strange Love because we will have watched it by then because we haven't had a lot of time. I'm glad none of us watched it because none of us look that bad. Um, <laughs> I've heard it shit anyway, don't we? Yeah, I mean, we've all seen it, but it'd be nice to nice to refresh us, refresh ourselves, I think. Um, and I don't know when I'm going to stop talking, so I think that point might be about now. Uh, find us on at Strangers Cinema on Twitter and at Strangers Cinema on Instagram and Facebook. And goodbye. Shut up and sit down.